Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 422 on Tuesday, the 31st of August, 2021. Hello, I'm Andrew. Hello, I'm not Alan, but I'm Richard. And this week we'll be discussing how the chips are up for car manufacturers. We find out the myths of building an EV and we discuss the next camper van to block the rise of the Southwest. Uh, but first, you can take us straight away into new news, can't you? I can indeed. And the first story is that the highly polluting leaded petrol is now has now been eradicated from the world according to the UN. The last country to still sell it was Algeria and that ran out of its last supplies in July and the UN Environment Programme says that it has contaminated air, soil and water for almost a century but now it's gone. That's good news. Good news. Just just in time for E10 to come in I think. <laughs> yes which starts tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Or earlier, if you look at the signs on some of the petrol pumps. Yes, certainly around these parts. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's good news, and it shows we can actually make change. Because uh, wasn't this brought in because of the poor quality of engines back in the day, way back in the day? So they needed something to help them from just basically grinding away and going after a few thousand miles. I think so, yeah, yeah. But the alarm on it was raised as early as 1924 according to this bbc story Mm. but i i don't even know if i realized that it was actually still being used it disappeared for us and and europe so you just thought oh that must be it then everyone must Mm. be the same you know in a very privileged manner (laughs) just go well everybody's following what we do (laughs) (laughs) no apparently 86 countries or nations were still using it even in the early 2000s oh yikes but no more it's gone now so that's good right i am going to take us to this week's insert car maker name will be electric only from insert year and this time it's a fight between ds and audi so first up ds have said from 2024 every new model will be available exclusively with an 100% electric powertrain. And then there'll be electrified versions of each of the models. And then I am trying to find the date where they are going to be electric only only. Uh, Because, oh no, I can't find that, I'm afraid. I thought that was 2024, no? I thought that the way that they've announced it was... There will be an electric model for everything from 2024, but I could be misreading that, and it is that they will be purely electric from 2024. Mm, I read it as... Oh, no, no. Yeah, you're right. Really it electric. is. I, I just can't read English. Um, <laughs> that's not a good start to the show. Yes, You've so, had a hard week. <laughs> yes, and it's only Tuesday. Uh, so, yes, every new DS automobile model will be available exclusively with 100% electric powertrain. So no hybrids, no plug-in hybrids, but purely 100% electrical. Great. That's good news. And that's really quite soon, actually. Yeah, well, I've got the DS3 crossback e-tents now. And also the DS7 is a hybrid, I think, plug-in hybrid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wonder whether all the tech that's underneath them will will be the same tech that the DS3 uses now, or whether they will have more... I guess the Stellantis group will have more of a wider-ranging platform and battery structure. So Yeah. If we move on to Audi now, and they're talking about not just being uh, just having electrified or, or electric-only models, but they're talking about being climate-neutral. 
um, and mobility is climate neutral. So from 2026, the premium brand will only release models that are powered purely by electricity. So that's a good move. And they will phase out the production of internal combustion engine by 2033. So they foresee across the globe at that point that they won't be producing internal combustion engines, which is, that's quite a shout considering there's large portions of the world that are not uh, making as bold aims as, say, Europe is. Mm. Um, when it comes to being electric only, America's announced how they intend to or wish to get quite electrified in the coming years, but it's not like mandated like it is over here. No. So that's interesting uh, that they reckon that they're going to have uh, from 2025 more than 20 fully electric uh, battery driven cars. So that's, again, not that far away considering not that long ago i mean in the in the lifetime of this podcast there was no plans for any electrified vehicles in the vw group and now wow yes there is yeah, yeah they've caught up quite a bit even audi has caught up very quickly i mean i as you know i write about evs quite a lot and just the number of audis that are currently electric or plug-in hybrid mm. is well, a lot more than there was even two or three years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not all sweetness and light, is it, in the uh, in the world of uh, manufacturing? No, sadly not. Um, and maybe not in a big surprise. The world's largest semiconductor manufacturer is saying that it may raise its prices by as much as 20% <laughs> when, <laughs> when the industry is already, you know, suffering due to the chip shortage. Yes. According to Autocar, the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, TSMC, plans to increase its cost for its most advanced chips by 10%, while the less complicated ones, which are more commonly used in, in things like cars, will rise by 20%. And that looks to be starting later this year or early next year. Yeah. There's two things on that. One, it's being reported that the chip manufacturers don't like producing car chips at the moment because they are old technology and they are investing in new tech to build and to have more efficient chips. It's like a two-pronged attack. They're going, fine, if you want to do that, bearing in mind that you're way down the list of industries who we're interested in giving chips to because we can't make as much profit because it's old tech so they can't they can't uh, exploit new advances and anything like that car manufacturers have been hammered by a lack of supply because funnily enough gaming consoles laptops everything else that we need to work from home uses much more interesting from a profit point of view chips <laughs> and and there's and there's a suddenly there's a lot more demand for that plus they've got reduced staffing levels and then it's just oh i, I mean whilst i have mocked purchasing departments of car manufacturers in the past over this i it's not an easy situation to be in. Part of it is their own fault for past behaviour and ethoses and the way that they have conducted themselves with 
suppliers. But even so, this is an absolute stinker of a problem to be in. There's there's no there's no way out. You are absolutely constrained by the fact that you are dependent on a small number of manufacturers who make these things. Mm. I mean, it's quite quite shocking some of the the stats in the story. You know, Toyota is about forty percent down on its target of vehicles they wanted to make. So yeah, they, we were talking about it last week that they're reducing their output levels because even they and they own a factory that makes chips are are being hit by it. So everyone else, <laughs> everyone else who and most of them don't, they are absolutely being smashed by it. And and like I say, because of past behaviours, there's only so much that shouting at people down the phone or sending angry emails is going to get you. And then it comes to a point where they just go, well, we don't actually have to deal with you at this moment in time, thankfully. We're going to go and speak to Sony or Xbox and make a lot more cash. <laughs> Indeed. They're having to they're having to scramble and plan. And you can see that in the monthly car figures as well. The, there mm. are models that uh, pop up in that that you wouldn't expect. But they're clearly the ones that make the most profit for the car manufacturers because their planning teams are having to work overtime to make sure that they are producing the cars with the biggest profit that they can sell. Mm, I was very shocked last month, was it, to see the Polo as number one because that's never happened. (laughs) (laughs) I was well chuffed. But you've got some news of a a much smaller car company. Yeah, uh, Lotus has announced... Well, they haven't actually properly announced it's sort of leaked out from within the industry but lotus has apparently terminated partnership with several uk retailers now this all ties in with the uh, strides forward and the new plans for lotus of which on the day of recording there was a big announcement of a new headquarters in china and four models of evs i think it was but because it that news came out so close to this recording, we'll cover it next week because I haven't had a chance to read through it and find the details. But this is that they are cancelling the the franchise with uh, some of their current retailers. They're saying that it's mutually agreed because the retailers won't uh, or can't put the investment that's required because there'll be a whole new branding and so and that's really really not cheap when you come to signage you come to the way things are displayed and if you're doing remodeling on a showroom that's all dictated by a typically huge book of uh brand design requirements including you know the size of windows to how far the lettering needs to be apart from each other i mean it really the, the nothing is left to chance so that there is a it's all part of the trying to have a consistent experience whether you go into a lotus dealer in london is whether you go into one in edinburgh you know that the whole thing you're mm. supposed to feel like and that's why that these look so similar that's actually quite a shock i'm hoping it means they'll open more but I don't know if that's going to happen. Because the the other problem that's come from this is that owners who are already feeling a bit of a pinch on getting hold of parts now, um, particularly second-hand models, this could impact that even more. Obviously, Lotus don't want, because they don't want to get a reputation as you know cutting off current owners. And that would just, from an optics point of view, look dreadful because the way 
social media is that there would be a big hoo-ha about that. So I, I hope there is a good plan in place. And maybe some of the details of that is in within the big announcement that happened today that just we nobody's covered yet. So we'll, well, mm. we will keep an eye on that and we will um, try and find out what's going on. on it there. does say here at the bottom of this story that the uh, parts of availability or all repairs and maintenance shouldn't be altered or changed. So, but yeah, as you say, we'll find out more once that's all a bit more clear. Uh, but you've got a, an article now to where you're going to talk to us about uh, trailers and towing. Yes, this is a story that the government is proposing to allow drivers to tow a trailer without taking an additional test, which strikes me as a little bit dangerous. Well, after my recent journey to the southwest, I would question how many people on the roads had actually had the test at all. Because <laughs> it is only from... A particular size of trailer as well. We need to we need to make that clear. You don't have to do a test for every single trailer that's out there. No, IAM Roadsmart says that safety shouldn't be compromised to alleviate the current HGV driver shortage. But the rules are at the moment those drivers who pass their driving test after the first of January nineteen ninety seven can drive a vehicle up to three thousand five hundred kilograms maximum authorised mass towing a trailer of up to 750 kilograms. There's finally, there's finally some good news for being old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, and this means that because people are staying at home this year because of, well, we know why, so they're staying at home and holiday in the UK and towing caravans and trailers and things, the number of tests has gone up quite a lot. Mm. At the moment, 30,000 tests now happen annually, and that number will probably increase post-COVID. Yeah, because there's already backlogs, aren't there? Yeah. And there's already problems with that because of you know safety measures that are now in place in workplaces and all the rest of it, which the testing companies and the testing people will have to be following themselves which means that you you can't have the throughput that we did have in the before times. And as you say, more people looking to to get their test and get their license for it has obviously increased. And there just is no simple way around this. It is one of those it's going to take as long as it takes because there's only there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so many people that can be processed in a day. And that's if everybody passes. Then, you know, this is irrespective of you know, somebody failing and having to retest. I worry that removing safety measures, and I'll talk about it again in the next article, but removing safety measures is not the way to solve this problem. I think the way this problem gets solved is time, basically, whether it's the number of lorry drivers, because the government said that uh, they're not going to change any rules and on the short term allow foreign drivers to come back in again in an easy manner. If that's where we are, then it is a case of time and the consequences there of that. Mm. The DVSA does say that the trailer training will remain a recommendation, but the government consultation suggests that it would not be a mandatory requirement anymore. Oh, you just see most people going, oh, well, I'll skip that then. Well, yeah. Imagine the cost. Uh, oh, shall I get this 
huge caravan and get trained and qualify and get a license for it or shall i just do it and let's go on holiday i can imagine what's going to happen with that one yes with the number of small trailers towed on the back of vehicles that went hurtling past me and i was at the speed limit on motorways <laughs> <laughs> so the second part of this story is that uh, doctors are concerned again to do with the licenses that over 200,000 driving licensed medicals are outstanding including HGV tests and they are concerned that the government is going to tweak this so that there will be shortcuts to getting a medical certification to show that they're fit to be either a lorry driver or whatever else it is that they need for their their driving license you know if somebody gets to a certain age they have to have a medical they have to get medically cleared as well Uh, So through the fitness to drive assessments. Again, just reiterating what I said before, removing a safety measure in something really important like, oh, I don't know, a lorry driver or even someone driving two tonnes of metal in a car. uh, I, I really am very uncomfortable about talking about removing that that safety step, that safety net. Yeah, I would say this one's even worse, actually, because obviously, well, people are people and, you know, everyone's, people are complicated by their very makeup. So the fact that tests will be skipped, you know, mm. health tests will be skipped, is it's madness. It says in this Merging Research article, which will be, of course, linked in the show notes, that uh, there is a 12-point plan that's been suggested by the Road Haulage Association, highlighting the costs and time needed for medicals as a significant impediment to new HGV drivers. Or necessary for the rest of us road users not to be fearful we're going to get <laughs> mown down by someone unfit. Mm. Yeah. And and it would take take us to something that's a bit more positive <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, that's, that's the Citroen is going to roll out sign language... Uh, screens and communication devices so it's retail dealership staff can talk to car buyers using British Sign Language Um, and this will happen via a video feed which is linked to an interpreter so deaf and hard of hearing people will be able to speak to Citroen staff at its 190 sales centres in the UK Mm -hmm. and Citroen has also pledged that it will increase accessibility routes for the deaf community. And interestingly, using sign language in its advertising campaigns, which I'm guessing would be video and, you know, that kind of media. I think that's a first, isn't it? I can't remember seeing any adverts where sign language was used, I have to say. No, no, me neither. Which is which is great, which is a great thing because the, the more it becomes normal, the more that we can expect to see it everywhere, uh, and so we should because we shouldn't be excluding parts of society just because it's it's a little bit tricky and takes a little bit of effort. If we can if we if we can get around that, mm. Mm. so I applaud Citroen for making this move. Yeah, that's very good. Right, I think that's the end of the first part. So that means it is Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel that the Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. The different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live typically not this week we also have a small range of merchandise available from our website and spring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts 
If you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand that, then you can help us by following us for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released. And by liking and rating the show in whichever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and we know there are plenty of people out there who have, and thank you very much for doing so, then the last thing you can do is recommend us to your friends or colleagues, because that is by far and away the best way for podcasts to be discovered and to increase listenership. And we hope that we are doing a good enough job that you wish to share us with others. Thank you, everyone, for your help. I'm going to take us on to the lunchtime read because there's no real new, new car news as everyone's either on holiday or sort of warming up for definitely not Frankfurt Motor Show. There's nothing really out that's worth putting your way this week, so we won't bother. Uh, and the uh, the lunchtime read is from David Tuig, who is writing in LinkedIn and he's talking about the myths that are around making and designing EVs. And there are a number out there. Which, so this is a different take on the myths of EVs. We're not talking about being an owner of one and what are the myths there. So this is how car manufacturers have got to work and how difficult it actually is to make and get a model out to us for us to then moan about the lack of infrastructure or whatever it is we wish to moan about. So this is really good article, this. And, you know, David does write uh, typically in uh, the intercooler now as well, uh, which I know a number of our listeners uh, are subscribed to. So, you know, he's got pedigree of writing and it's it's an excellent article. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't be recommending it. But it's it's very interesting and is a nice reminder that this is not a simple thing, even though the government or governments have come out and said, oh, we're just going to be EV by pick random year. Oh, they've done it. That one will be sooner, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And on that front, there was an interesting article from Autocar, which discussed how politicians are making these grandiose statements, but they haven't actually got EVs themselves. <laughs> they are uh, reluctant to move across themselves. What a surprise. Yes. If you stumble across that, that's it. That's another good article. I did like this from David. It's a, it's a really well-written article. Mm. Yeah, I mean, even the stuff that's, that, you know, it's not, oh, they have much fewer moving parts. Uh, not always. No, not really. No. It's just different moving parts. Yeah. <laughs> it's moving parts you don't really see, and they don't make a big noise, so you don't think there's many there. <laughs> yes. No. Very good. Very good. The list of the week this week is from Julopnik. And it's the most overrated cars of all time. Yeah, that's counter to last week's, which was the most underrated cars of all time. <laughs> so it describes them as as the cars that were mostly good, but the reputations were overblown. And I think they're uh, 13, 15, I think. Yeah, there's something like that. It's, it's quite a it's quite a fighty art list and... You can you can see in the writing that someone's standing there knowing there's going to be some pushback, particularly from the diehard fans of these vehicles selected. But I think in some cases the the shout that they are a bit overrated is quite good, I think. Yeah. Okay. yeah. What one would you pick then? Well, I'm going to go for the Nissan two forty SX from 1989 to 1993 
it's just a bit and as the article says it's it's really good once you've spent a lot of money upgrading it but out the factory out the showroom it's just a bit you know have you got one in here uh yes much as it pains me to say it would probably be the mark for Volkswagen Golf GTI. I mean, out it looks, the Mark IV, I think, is one of my favourite ones in terms of looks, because the looks were spot on, especially the way the, and everyone harps on about it, the way the back door on the five-door model echoes the line from the rear light down through the wheel arch and the bumper, and the quality was nice in the interior, quite dull on interior, but very well made. Mm. But yeah, the GTI was, I think, only 125 horsepower, and and a bit of a damp squib. They did release TDI versions and things like that, but yeah, it's not it's not very well regarded. Um, but the the normal models seem to go on and on and on, but the yeah the GTIs just seemed a bit blamongy and a bit ugh. yeah, not exciting. No, no not no. exciting. Not as exciting as you would hope a GTI should be. Well, yes, yes, I guess so. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, especially the the Mark V that followed. Mm. That was a whole different ball game, if you pardon the pun. But there you go. <laughs> yeah, so do click through on the show notes and have a run through the list, uh, and particularly read the read the justifications, because, like I say, some of them are quite fighty, <laughs> and I think seem to be getting their retaliation in first. <laughs> But uh, you know, it it it's interesting. I don't agree with it all, as as is always usually the case with these lists. But it's a, it's a good list. Now you've got one. The fi- well, you've got the and final story, which has something that looks like what I would say is a vehicle that's a bit overrated from my point of view. And there will be some pushback <laughs> on that, I know. But but what's the last story you've got here? Oh, well, this is from. Top Gear magazine, and it is the X-Bus, which is an electric van that has a myriad of possible combinations, including, and the one that I've got on the picture here, is a camper van. So this could be the next camper van to block the roads of the southwest every summer. <laughs> but if it looked like this, you'd be less inclined to, I think, shake a fist at it. Yes, I think so. I mean, it looks that it looks like it's got a face because of LED lights and they're round, and it does harp back to a certain German manufacturer's camper van, shall we say? There are definite echoes. I mean, the shape is is very close. Mm. Uh, it's very close to it, almost unashamedly. But uh, it it looks great, and like I say, there's this myriad of options so you've got the camper van then you've got this like a bit of a minibusy sort of family vehicle then there's a, a flatbed version again this really does smack of the volkswagen camper van particularly was it the type two yeti two yeah. yeah yeah that where they where they had various versions on the back and there's like little vans there's a i think they're stretching it here definitely not for this country but the the four-door version with a small pickupy bit in the back with the surfboards <laughs> pointing <laughs> out the top of. I think that's wishful thinking there. But then there's, uh, yeah, it, it just. I just think it looks it looks great, and some of the claims on the mileage 
seems a little bit generous and the what they hope to get from solar panels off the roof to continue to charge the batteries as you're driving along. Well, we were saying before we started recording that the you can't really gauge the size from those pictures that are on this article, but I would imagine, I think as you were alluding to pre, pre-record, it is on the smaller side because reading the story, it says that it's only got a 10 to 30 kilowatt hour battery. Mm. So that's not overly huge. No. And also looking at the price, it's claimed the prices will start at around 17,000 going up to over just over 30,000 if you want the off-road ready camper, um, which includes, quoting, fridge, TV, hob, freshwater tank and sink and a two meter long sofa. It's not that small in there if it's got a two meter sofa. Oh gosh, it says actually that that the uh, there's seven hundred and thirty seven pounds for talk. That's quite yes. A, that'll that'll shake all your all your crockery to pieces. That's for sure. Well, the top speed's not great. They say over sixty two mile an hour. So I'm guessing sixty three mile an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're in something like that, yeah, you, and it, and if it is a dinky one, it's not about speed, is it? And even if you're in a large one, it's not about speed. It's about guessing there. Yeah. I really like that. When they come out with something real and it, it's a thing, I'll happily test it for them. Yeah. Not a problem. Yeah, it's very cool. Not a problem, Xbus. Very cool. And that's a very short show this week, although the recording wasn't for technical purposes. But it's a very short show this week, I'm afraid, because Europe is still on holiday and is, and like I say, is still gearing up for not frankfurt on the motor show so hopefully from next week the week after there will be more news Um, next week definitely there will be the spreadsheet of doom which if the production figures from the smmt are anything to go by is going to be very doomy uh, on top of it being august anyway that should be uh, quite horrific alan should be back uh, next week if all things are equal um so that that will be good to get alan back on the show but thank you richard for joining me and not letting me get too lonely are here but most importantly for helping the listeners out by not having just me speak to them so there is a rational voice on the podcast this week well, as well I'm not, I'm not quite sure about that can i just say that i think zoom zoom is, is back on monday which okay. will be the 6th of september i think um which i believe I will be on, I would imagine Alan would be too. Mm-hmm. More fun and games on Monday night at eight o'clock. Yeah, if you don't get to catch that live, uh, then we will have a link in the show notes to the latest video that is on the channel. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, so uh, how can people follow what you do, Richard? I'm on Twitter. That's the best way of contacting me. And I'm at richgoodingcom. Okie doke. We will have links in the show notes so people can just click that and follow you and say hello and say thank you. Thank you for not having it just Andrew speaking. <laughs> so <laughs> so that rounds us out. And don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We're on the Book of Face and we have a contact page on themotoringpodcast.com, which is the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon if you're able to. And please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. 
Ah, uh, the best way to get in touch with Alan would be via Twitter. If you s- search for AJP Bradley, that's B R A D L E Y, then you will find him there. And the best way to find me is also on a Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you will find me there. So we'll be back soon. But until then, I've been Andrew Clues. I've not been Alan Bradley. And safe motoring.